in here. Does anybody see it anywhere? Probably Cody stole it. <laughs> you stole it, Cody? Took it from me? Sir, I'm, I'm not joking. I don't have it here. I'm not joking. And then I also learned something else. I'll tell you what. Um, I need you to go print that out for me, would you, Steve, wherever you're at? Just, it's, on my, it's on my computer. You'll see it under um, Sunday night, this night, or whatever. If, you'll figure it out. <laughs> He's really smart like that. And then I learned something else. I learned that when... Mrs. Cavanaugh was young. Her youth director was Brother Ballard when she was young. So we, we know now that she's, obviously she's not young. I, it, the, the teenagers made me aware of that tonight. I figured that out. Oh, wait, there you go. Look at that. You can tell Brother Steve. Would you let him know? I got it. I, I couldn't remember what I did with it. That's, oh, Sherry, thank you for the message, hon. Yes. She comes through when I need her. Yeah, she does. Isn't that great? Boy, I tell you what, you wish you had a wife that was that sharp like that. Some of these preacher boys, you better hope Megan does that stuff one day, right? Sarah, yeah. Miss Kavanaugh, do you write messages for Steve yet? You haven't started that yet? You will. You will. All right, 2 Kings chapter 22 again. And I'm not going to take the time to read it all, but 2 Kings chapter 22, we're writing the same passage. We're going to continue our message from this morning. And uh, we talked about, thanks, Brother Steve, that was amazing how quickly you got that to me. <laughs> Through my wife, especially. She, uh, all right, Second Kings chapter 22. That's good. And uh, we read verses 1 through 10. And uh, let me just give you the, the oversight of it. We'll probably, we'll, we may touch on it some as we move along. But Hezekiah, as we said, was a great king. And uh, he had reigned 29 years. And his reign was marked... With righteousness. Is my, this not on today or something? Check. Is it on? Okay, it doesn't sound like it did this morning. Okay, it just sounds a lot different. It sounds like I have to yell to get my voice out there. So Hezekiah, that's better. It might even be a little bit too much. But anyway, Hezekiah was a great king and, and whose 29-year reign was marked with righteousness. And he walked with God and um, his walk was so intimate, we, we noted that when it came time for him to go to heaven... Uh, he asked the Lord for more time, and God gave him 15 more years. 
Well, it was during that 15 years that he bore a son by the name of Manasseh. Manasseh was probably born in about the third year of that extended life period. And so now at the age of 12, with the passing of Hezekiah, Manasseh comes on the scene. Manasseh then takes the throne and he unfortunately obviously had some wicked influence in his life. And as a result of that, uh, in his reign, we find that it is a very vile, a very wretched, a very evil reign in Judah. We find that he even sacrifices to idols. We note that he literally uh, even sacrifices his own children to idols. And boy, I tell you what, we got a real mess on our hands. Such a wicked king. As a matter of fact, we read in Second Kings chapter 21 that he built altars in the house of the Lord. He literally uh, took and defiled the temple. He placed idols in the temple. Can you imagine that? How wicked and how vile and wretched he must have been. Totally totally dis, uh, uh, you know, uh, departing from his father's faith and in, in ultimately going his own direction. So he f- spent 55 years, 55 years ruling on the throne of Judah, tearing down everything that Hezekiah, his father, had built up. Now, upon the death of Manasseh, Ammon, his son, his son comes along and spends two years on the throne until he is assassinated. And he then goes off the scene. And now we come to Josiah. And that is who our, our, our main character is in our passage here, chapter 22. Josiah was only eight years old when he began to reign. It would be eight more years later that he began to seek out the Lord in a very personal, intimate way. Four more years later, he would ultimately institute a nationwide plan to eliminate and to do away with idolatry. And so he goes on the war, pa- uh, the, 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 the war path, seeking to devour, to destroy, to do away with all of the idolatry, the groves and high places that were there in Judah at that point. And then four years following that, four years following that at the age of 20, he would assert his authority. And uh, excuse me, I mean, six years later, after that, he's now 26 years of age, he's going to restore the temple. And in the process of that restoration, they find a book. They find a book. Well, we know everything changes then. It's amazing what God does as a result of the book and what he does in the lives of those folks. And we learn some things. Hezekiah, good king, 29 years. Manasseh, bad king, 55 years. What did we learn? Well, we said that we're always just one generation away from losing the Bible. From losing the word of God. From losing the faith in the Lord. I mean, one generation away. That's it. Some of these uh, young people have been raised in a Christian home. The fact is, is that if they're not careful, they make a decision. They go off the deep end. They go their own way. Faith lost. Word of God gone. One generation. We often think it takes generation after generation. No, one generation. We said that America has declined spiritually since 1960 or 55 years ago as well. So in 55 years, we've seen some major change in America. And as a result, we concluded that the greatest need in our nation would be the same that it was in Josiah's day, to rediscover the book. So this morning we noted how to rediscover the book. We said make church a point of emphasis. Clean up the house of God. And three, we got to dust off our Bibles and use them. So the rediscovering of the book as we'll note, had a very powerful impact on Josiah's life. It made such a difference in the life of a nation as well. 
And as a result, we're going to continue our study by considering this thought. What rediscovering the, bi- the book will do in your life? What rediscovering the book will do in your life? Okay, how did, we, how did we rediscover the book? We talked about that this morning. Now, what will that do in your life? What repercussion? What difference will it make? How will it affect your life and mine once we've rediscovered the book? And that's what we want to discuss very briefly tonight. Let's have a word of prayer and do so. Father, we thank you now for this time together. Bless us. We thank you for this passage. We thank you for the opportunity to, Father, glean from your word and to understand these principles. Lord, we don't have to learn them the hard way. We can learn them from you and your word tonight. Bless us now. Speak to our hearts. Thank you for those testimonies. Lord, I'm so excited when I hear teenagers had a good time doing something that was godly. What a blessing that is. There they were listening to preaching. There they were being encouraged by one another. There was no wicked music. There was no bad things to look at. There was just simply your creation. Men and women of God serving the Lord, having a great time doing it. Lord, that's what we need to note, that the Christian life is the best life. And you can have a great time living for Jesus Christ. Lord, I'm so grateful for what you did in their heart and their lives. Lord, help us now, Lord, to just allow you to speak to us tonight, even this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, when you rediscover the book, some things are going to happen. Number one, when you rediscover the book, it's going to change your posture. It'll change your posture. In 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 11, it says, And it came to pass, when the king had heard the words of the book of the law, that he rent his clothes. I mean, he started just stripping down, man. I mean, he goes on in 2 Kings twenty two nineteen, Because thine heart was tender, he says, and thou hast humbled thyself before the Lord, when thou heardest that what I spake against this, when I spake against this place and against the inhabitants thereof, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and hast rent thy clothes and wept before me, I also have heard thee, saith the Lord. What we see going on here is that as a result of the book being rediscovered, the Word of God being rediscovered, even, I mean, he is reacquainted with God's laws. He's reacquainted again with with God's judgment, with God's um, standard. And as they look at their nation, as they consider where they're at as a nation, they say, man, we're not where we're supposed to be. We have fallen short. I mean, he falls on his knees. He gets prostrate before God. He found himself on his face before the Lord. Man, that mankind would find themselves in that position today. That we as believers would find ourselves on our face before God. Honestly, I still remember and still do from time to time, and maybe you do too, but there's times that you literally have to get on your face before God. I think sometimes that we get this idea that we've matured so much in our life, that we're so spiritual now, God can hear me anywhere, so why not just relax in a chair? I'll just pray like this. Never been there, have you? I have. I'm not saying that you have to be on your face. I'm not saying that God can't hear you otherwise. But let me tell you something. When you get a hold of God and you get the the truth of God in your life, and when you're brokenhearted enough, you'll find yourself possibly on your face too. I don't know what it's about. I remember going into uh, my, my new apartment when, before I got, as soon as I was getting married, before I did, I laid on my face before God in that place. I surrendered it to the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, I wanted God's blessing in that place. I wanted God's blessing in my life and in my marriage and in my home. 
And today, we don't talk much about that kind of humility. We don't talk about getting low for God. We always talk about doing something great for God. Well, you can't do anything great till you get low for God. Because the best things God has to offer us are on the lowest shelf. Until we get humble, we will not be elevated. He rediscovered the book, and it bent his knees. He found himself on his face before God. Romans 14, 11 says, For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. Now there's some people who can't get on I can't get on my knees like I used to. This morning, one of the young ladies, one of the little girls came and wanted to, to see their preacher, and I always get down, and I, they give me a big hug. And so I, I went ahead and said, Hold on a second, honey. Preacher can't get on his knees right now like he used to. Boy, I had to stop a second. I had to kind of touch the ground and kind of make sure my knee wasn't going to give out when I put it there. You, you, you know what I'm talking about, right? Some of you do. The other day, my wife ticked me off. I got down. I, I, I was trying to do some stretching or something. I got on my knee. I went, oh! And I fell backwards. And she said, what's wrong now? And I'm like, what's wrong now? Where's some sympathy? Where's some concern here? Are you kidding me? I'm over here in agony. What's wrong now? And it was almost like that. It was like, I'm sick of it. I was like, man, I don't know about you. That bothered me. I had to confess it as sin eventually. And I'm not joking. I was like, Lord, man, I don't want to get bitter at my wife, man. She just make, act like what my pain is like nothing here. Big deal. You know, I'm sick and tired of it. I, at least that's how I felt. Now, she may not have felt that way, but that's how I felt and took it. And she did say that, though, word for word. I promise that. But, you know, I mean, you know, I, I forgot what I was talking about, but, you know, the truth is, is that every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess. And, you know, we've got to be aware of that. And we've got to realize we can do it voluntarily. We can do it now. Or one day we'll do it anyway. You know, we can bow before a merciful, forgiving God. Or we can wait when he's wrathful and vengeful. And Josiah, when he rediscovered the book, man, it changed his posture. I mean, he wasn't standing up right now. And, and, uh, and as we're going to see, I've got to believe that he felt like he was doing a pretty good job probably to that point. But, man, when that word of God was rediscovered and that book was opened and it was read, well, I'll tell you what, it humbled his heart. Number two, when you rediscover the book, it's going to change not only your, your posture, it's going to change your perspective. Yes. Change your perspective. In 2 Kings twenty two thirteen. Now, again, remember, they found the book now. They found it. They've rediscovered it. And so we're reading passages that follow that. It goes, Go ye, inquire of the Lord for me and for the people, the king says, and for all Judah, concerning the words of this book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us. Why would the wrath of the Lord be kindled against them? Why? Because they'd had a wicked king, Manasseh. Because they'd been living in sin. Because they had elevated idolatry above the worship of God. God had warned them long before that when the law was instituted that that would not be tolerated. And so now here they are being humbled as they read this book, as they're reminded again of the consequences of a wrathful God, not just a merciful God. He goes on to say, For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us, because our fathers have not hearkened unto the words of this book to do according unto all that which is written concerning us. 
I want you to realize what he's saying there and really keep this in mind because our fathers, here, why are we in such a bad shape? Why are we in such a dire strait? How's come we're having these problems? How, why is it that God's wrath is being poured on us? Let me tell you why. Because he says it right here, because our fathers. Didn't that look like Brother Hamlin? Fathers. Have not hearkened unto the words of this book. Our fathers haven't hearkened to it. Our fathers haven't read the Word of God. Our fathers haven't lived according to the Word of God. And, and they haven't done according to all that is written concerning us. You want to know what the problem is? Dads and moms departed from God and the kids are paying the price. You know, don't think it doesn't happen now. Our children will pay for our failures, faith, our faith failures. We have got to do our best. Because ultimately, there are those coming behind us. And unfortunately, God is going to judge what's going on in our lives. And if our children do not get it right, what else can God do but judge their wicked deeds? And who's really to blame? Makes it very clear. Our fathers have not hearkened unto the words of this book to do according to all that which is written concerning us. So that's, what's, what, that's what our problem is here. That's the mess we're in. It changed our perspective. It changed his perspective. Not only did Josiah bow before God now, but rediscovering the book, it changed how he saw things. Again, he was the king of Judah. He's the leader of God's people. I mean, he has great power and authority over a nation. And he's inherited a very vile, a very wretched, a very sinful people. He's ruling and reigning over them. He's responsible for them. He was only eight years old, as we said, when he began to reign. He was 16 when he began to seek after the Lord. He was 20 when he finally put in a national plan to do away with idolatry. He did that before he ever saw the book. Now, you've got to believe that Josiah is saying to himself, Man, listen, I truly must be a pretty good guy. I mean, here I am doing the best I can, flying by the seat of my pants. I, I, I had some decent upbringing, at least there were those that instilled in me some character and some morals. But the fact is, where's the book? Where's the book of God? Don't even have it in the, in the temple. And here I am still, I'm doing my best to eradicate idolatry and to eradicate this, this sinful behavior from my nation. And boy, all of a sudden he finds the book. And it could have been tempted to say, boy, you know what? I've been doing my best to do that. I've been doing my best to try to bring this nation around. And so I, I think we're doing okay in light of it. No, he looked at that book and he said, you want to know something? We are miserably failing. We are miserably failing. We are not measuring up to God's standard. Although I've done a pretty good job without the book. Now that I have the book, I know where we are failing and we are failing miserably. And you know what? That's how it ought to be in our lives. We go to church over and over again, and we take care of all our business, we think, and we come to a place like this, and the preacher gets up and proclaims the Word of God, whether it's me or one of these young men on staff, or whether it's some visiting preacher from outside, and they preach their heart out, and we hear the truth of the Word of God, and we know in our heart we may not be measuring up exactly, exactly to that standard, but we're doing a pretty good job of it. And instead of being humbled by this book, instead of allowing God's word to truly drive home the reality that we are miserably failing his standard, we turn around and convince ourselves that what we are doing is good enough. You know what we need to do, don't you? Rediscover the book. 
Because once we rediscover the book, all of a sudden we will have to comply and follow, fall into place with it. He was 26 years old finally when he saw the book. And he had been doing a pretty good job of, re- of, of reformation in his nation. And yet when he finally saw the book, he's like, man, I've done the best I could with what I had. But it wasn't good enough. And you know, there are some that are growing up in homes and you're doing the best you can to be the husband or the wife that you ought to be, to, to be the young person you ought to be. And all of a sudden... One day the word of God comes out and you say, man, I'm not much of a husband like I thought. I thought I was doing really good, but the word of God says I'm falling pretty miserable in this area. I'm really falling short here. Instead of bowing up in pride and going, well, you know what? I haven't had the word of God and I'm doing pretty good and our family's all right and my marriage is decent and it's good enough and me and my wife get along. I mean, wouldn't it be nice just to look at the book and say, wow, that's the standard right there. And I'm not measuring up to the standard, his standard. Oh, I measure up to my wife's standard, maybe. I measure up to my standard. I measure up to society's standard. I measure up to the other folks in the church's standard. But wait a second, God's standard, that's the one that really matters here. And that's the standard that Josiah found when he rediscovered the book. It changed his perspective. He came to that conclusion... We're not doing as well as maybe we first imagined. Maybe God isn't as happy with us as I thought. I mean, in comparison to the nations around us, compared to the past regimes, we are light years ahead of them. But in light of this newly discovered book, we are failing miserably in relationship to God's standard. It changed his perspective. Number three, not only did it change his um, posture and his perspective, but it changed his priorities. And when we rediscover the book, it's going to change our priorities. In 2 Kings chapter 23, verse 1 and 2, it says, And the king sent, and they gathered unto him all the elders of Judah and of Jerusalem. And the king went up into the house of the Lord, And all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem with him and the priests and the prophets and all the people, both small and great. And he read in their ears all the words of the book of the covenant which was found in the house of the Lord. Business as usual took a back seat to the word of God. Now all of a sudden everybody's showing up. Everybody, come on now, everybody gather around. Everybody, young and old, gather around. Keep your mouth shut, young man. Parents, take control of those children. Make them listen. Because what's going on up here is important. Hey, knock that off. Sir, would you please stop that child? Knock it off back there. Young man, you need to listen. This is the word of God. This isn't some toy. This isn't some playtime. This is God's word. Wasn't business as usual anymore. Oh, well, we got work to do and we got responsibilities. We got things to take care of. He said, wait, all of a sudden the priorities changed because we done found the book, the word of God. All of a sudden, baseball teams weren't as important as God's house. All of a sudden, going to to gymnastics wasn't taking precedence over Sunday night service or Wednesday night service. All of a sudden, taking vacation for weekend and week out and weekend and week out. I've got me a house on the lake, so I'm gone every weekend preacher for the whole summer. 
No, we got a book now. We got some priorities. Someone says, well, I don't think that's your business. What I, you know what? And you know what? You do whatever you want. But what I'm telling you is when you rediscover this book, you find there's a purpose for living other than leisure. And there are priorities that change when you get a hold of a rediscovered book and you recognize this is God's Word. It's not just what the church teaches. It's not just what the pastor preaches. It is God's book. And it does not change. And it's time we figure it out. It wasn't business as usual anymore. You know, I saw Sherry years ago before I was ever married at the University of Akron in a lunchroom. My brother pointed her out to me. He said... He said, uh, I, I wasn't going to that church at the time, I was, and I wasn't right with the Lord. I'm going to be honest with you. I was traveling in a singing group. Every weekend I was in another church around the country, around the northeastern part of the United States. Hey, well, I wasn't, local church meant nothing to me. It meant nothing to me. There wasn't a local church group. It was just a bunch of Christians got together and decided to go out and sing. Let me tell you, that's unscriptural. It's unscriptural. You say, well, did you sound good? Yeah, we sounded good. Did you make albums? Yeah, we made albums. You do big places? Sometimes we did big places. Sometimes we just did little churches back in the holler down there in West Virginia. I know what those are like, especially now. I really know what the holler is now. <clears throat> but that didn't make it right. It didn't make it right. It didn't make it right that we were all doing good things. We were trying to be nice and everything. I'm just saying it wasn't right. But here's, that's what I did. I traveled. So I got to college then, and I'm going to college, and my brother says, hey. He says, uh, I said, Who, who's that girl over there? He said, oh, that's, that's, that's Sherry Johnson. She goes to our church. And I went, really? No, I didn't, I'd never seen her before because I didn't go to church much. I was always traveling. I said, really? Huh, look at who she's talking to. All the jocks from Ellet. That's the school I graduated from. There were a bunch of jocks there, you know, at Ellet. And they, there were some of the guys, you know, play football and baseball. They all thought they were cool, you know. And I said, look at her all stuck up and everything. <laughs> talking to all the jocks. And she's all uppity. Never met her in my life. You know how it is. You draw conclusions by what you see. <clears throat> Never even talked to her. Three years later, I finished with the, the, the military. Come back out. I go back to college. And uh, I, go, I go to church now because I'm not in a singing group, right? Where I probably should have been to begin with, right? Not should have been, but should have been. I mean, right. It's not right. I mean, it's right that I should have been. You figure it out. So anyway... <clears throat> Anyway, I see her at church. I think, that's the girl. That, that's the one I saw three years ago before I went in the military. And, of course, she asked me out. And uh, <laughs> the rest is history. The rest is history. <clears throat> but let me tell you something. When I rediscovered Sherry, when I rediscovered her, I'm going to tell you something. Um, my priorities changed. All of a sudden, guess what? I wanted to spend all my time with her. Amen. You rediscover the book, your priorities will change. They'll change some. There's no doubt about it. With Josiah, pleasing God and not self became a priority. Placing God first and not the flesh was at the top of the list now for him. Ease and comfort were replaced with education and communication of the Word of God. Now all of a sudden, he's gathering the people for the Word of God. I mean, we're not going to watch, we're not just going to watch a spiritual movie and be entertained tonight. We're going to get in the book. What a novel idea. Isn't that something? 
We're not going to replace the preaching time with drama. I have no problem. Mrs. Fertig does a tremendous job with these programs and plays, and, but we always keep the gospel in there. Oh, well, we're just going to have this and we'll leave it at that. No, we're going to use that as a springboard now. We're going to use that to grab hold. It's going to grab hold of the heart, and then we're going to draw the net. No, no, no. We're, we're not, we're not going to, we don't need dance teams and, and, and all this stuff that goes on in some of these modern churches. I'm telling you, we need to keep this book first and the preaching of it first. And our personal priorities ought to change a little bit. All of a sudden, we got a little time for soul winning. So we got some time for the house of God. We got time now to serve the Lord in some capacity, some way. We're committed. We're yielded. We're surrendered. Because we understand some different priorities when we glean from this perspective, the Word of God's perspective. Finally, number four, when you rediscover the book, it'll change your practice. It'll change your practice. 2 Kings 23.3, And the king stood by a pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep His commandments and His testimonies and His statutes with all their heart and with all their soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book. And all the people stood to the, to the covenant. Hey, listen, this leader led his people to make a covenant with God. Now, remember, he had already implemented a national program to eradicate idolatry. But here he is now, after rediscovering the book, saying, we need to go a step further. We've got to take another step. And he ultimately gets by this pillar, uh, as, as the Bible says here, and, and he made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord. He says, listen, there needs to be a commitment made, a conscious decision made to surrender myself unto Christ, to consecrate ourselves unto the Lord, to follow after the things of Christ and the Word of God, to obey Him at all costs. And that's the kind of decisions these young people made as they stood here and they said, man, listen, you know, he's talking about standing for the Lord. I made a decision to stand for Jesus Christ. I'm not going to be one of those that fails. I want to follow and be faithful. And we say, amen. Or as Tony Hudson would say, amen. That does sound like it. I just didn't go, amen. All right, but anyway... There was a preacher there that preached this week that he, he was a spiritual schizophrenic. He, he, he would try to do... The, you could tell he wanted to actually just bust out in a Tony Hudson amen. But then he also was trying to sound like John Jenkins. He had both of them gone. Yeah, I, I, I was going to say something, but I didn't want to ruin the spirit. <clears throat> and, 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 but anyway. So anyway, moving on... <clears throat> It wasn't Brother Ballard either. And it certainly wasn't Brother Steve. So anyway, we've narrowed it down to two preachers, young people. But anyhow, um, he preached an hour and a half. But anyway, moving on. <clears throat> we just narrowed that down too. <clears throat> so we re- <laughs> and, and by the way, that's no exaggeration. He preached an hour and a half. These young people listened for an hour. I'm talking in the morning service. I'm talking in the morning. I'm not talking in the afternoon. Yeah. I'm talking about the morning, friend. Neighbor. <laughs> so here's what happens. It changes your practice. You know what happens when we rediscover the book? It changes our practice. First of all, you'll search out sin. 
Just search it out. Psalm 139, 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me I know, and know my thoughts, the psalmist says. Search me, O God. You'll search, out, you'll, you'll search out sin. Number two, you'll stomp out evil. You'll stomp out evil. Uh, you know, it, this book, Rediscovering It, will change some things. You'll search out sin. You'll stomp out evil. It's kind of like a fire, you know. And you ever have to stomp a fire out? I mean, I'm not talking about a forest fire. I'm talking about something, you know, the fire's going, and you're like, whoa, stop, stop before it, you know, gets. I remember one time, Brother Keith and I was over at the property at Pawnee, and all of a sudden, a fire started, and it started growing. <laughs> we were running around trying to put it out. <laughs> it was bad. It was bad. Let me tell you. It was bad. Brother Keith's probably sleeping, but if he was awake, he'd, he'd probably give me a... But anyway... Let me wake Brother Keith up. But nonetheless, um, we stomp out evil. It says, and he put down the idolatrous priests. Watch now. Here's what he does. He's 26 years old now. He puts down, he put down the idolatrous priests whom the king of Judah had ordained to burn incense in the high places in the cities of Judah and in the places round about Jerusalem. Them also that burned incense unto Baal, to the sun, to the moon, to the planets, to all the hosts of heaven. And he brought out the grove from the house of the Lord without Jerusalem under the brook Kidron and burned it at the brook Kidron and stamped it small to powder and cast the powder thereon upon the graves of the children of the people. It's kind of reminiscent of Aaron, isn't it? When Moses comes out of the mount, crushes up that idol, puts it in the water, makes the people drink. And he break down the houses of the Sodomites That were by the house of the Lord, where the women wove hangings for the grave, grove, excuse me. And that's something. He took a stand, folks. He took a stand. See, that's what rediscovering the book will do in your life. It'll give you courage to stand. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy to stand, but it'll change your practice, it'll change your perspective. It's going to change. Your posture and your priorities. That's what rediscovering the book will do. I had a professor in Bible college that would, every time he'd ask a question, you'd say, well, I think, and he'd go, I don't care what you think. Yeah, but I believe, who cares what you believe? I think, you think anybody cares what you think? I'd be like, well, pfft. How am I supposed to answer it? He went, give me verse and chapter. I don't want to hear your opinion. I could care less what you think or how you feel because none of that even matters. Hold on now. Let me just say something. That's easy to amen. It's another thing to live like that. The next time, next time, someone asks you why you dress the way you dress, let me ask you, you got a verse for him? Instead of just going, it's just what we do. Why are you out here soul winning? Well, because, I mean, church has organized soul winning. <laughs> Duh. I mean, you ought to have a reason for everything you do in your life. Everything you do. Man, you get married, you ought to have a reason why you're getting married biblically. Not just because you think it'll feel good, it'll be great. You better have a reason. 
You rediscover this book. You get a hold of this book, it'll help you live your life. It'll give you the answers you seek. Do you know you don't have to make any of your own decisions? God makes them for us. You realize that? Do you realize that He's responsible for every decision I make if I make it based on the Word of God? Good, bad, or indifferent, doesn't matter. The outcome's His fault, His, His problem. So many times we're making our own decisions and we try to do what's best for us. And in the end, the consequences are our own to bear. But the truth is, is that when we rediscover that book and we start saying, God, you know what? It doesn't matter what I think anymore. It doesn't matter what I feel. I just want to know what you have to say, and I'm just going to obey it. Just like Josiah, just like he required of the people of God, that's what we're going to do. And by the way, if Josiah was a Baptist preacher today, and he stood up in a pulpit, and he preached the verse we just read, and said, we're all going to make a commitment to Christ. We are all going to live for Jesus. We're all going soul winning, and we're all going to be at church every time the doors are open. Let's sign the pact. Let's make a covenant now. Let's do it right now. There'd be people in the Baptist church that would say, well, you know, that's, I'm, I don't know who he thinks he is, the Baptist Pope or what? Trying to tell us what we should do and what we need to do. But he doesn't even worry about himself. I'll worry about me and my family. Obey them that have the... For they watch for your souls. You think about that thought for a minute. Maybe long after we're gone. None of us like to be told what to do today. It's the downfall of our culture. We rediscover the book. There's one person I know without a doubt we ought to be listening to. It'll be him. Let's rediscover the book. Let's rediscover the book. And let's get back on track with him. If we aren't already. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for just the time we've had together. Bless.